Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 in the King James Version. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. I want to preach about the cradle and the cross. There are two towering peaks in the Christian calendar. Both of them are sounded and signaled in this text. The gospel narrative pulsates and pivots around these two events, Christmas and Easter. These two events are Siamese twins and they are eternally and irrevocably connected. God enters this world of sin and suffering through a cradle. And will ultimately cradle a cross in order to rescue and redeem the world from darkness. In the birth narrative, we find the Savior lying in a cradle. In the passion narrative, we find him lying on a cross. The gospel writer Luke, ever passionate about the particular was delightfully distracted with detail. And in this passage and its larger context, he provides a perspective about Christmas that the other gospel writers do not give us. Christmas is not just about a cradle. It is also about a cross. The child born on Christmas in Bethlehem is the savior of the world. The depths to which he descends to save and salvage this world of ours cannot be ultimately measured by his birth, but only by his death as the God-man of history. It is his birth That is the precedent for his death. Because we are not celebrating the birth of God. 
We are celebrating the birth of his humanity. His humanity had to be born. Why? Because God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You cannot crucify omnipresence. You cannot crucify omnipotence. You cannot crucify immutability. You cannot crucify truth and righteousness. God had to adorn a human body. As moving as the hallelujah chorus was on the night that Jesus was born, the hallelujah chorus was eclipsed by his epic cry from the cross when he said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? The gospels record a divine invasion and a divine occupation. God has planted two victory flags on this planet. One is the cradle and the other is the cross. Three movements in this text. There is the child in the cradle. While God had the mind, the means, and the might to enter this world in any form. In fact, he, he had many times in theophanic appearances. Uh, when we uh, encounter him in the book of Genesis, and it says, and God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. That is a theophany. It is a theophanic appearance of Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. When Jacob wrestles with the angel all night, saying to him, I'm, I'm not going to let you go till I get a blessing. That's a theophany because he called the place the face of God. While he had the means, the might, and the mind to enter this world in any form, he chose to be conceived in the womb of a virgin and birth as an infant, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There was no room in the end for him. The one who had title deed to all the mansions of glory, there was no room in the end for him. In his birth, he chose to identify not with the best of us, but with the least of us. Our first view of the Lord, our Savior, is not the pomp and circumstance of a king or general in lead of a marching army, but our first glimpse of him is the innocence and utter vulnerability of a child. This is not unprecedented, y'all. It's not unprecedented. As I was praying about this, I find it remarkable that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that when God gets ready to do something big, he begins with a child. In the book of Exodus, 
after 400 years of servitude, God fulfills his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and launches a rescue operation for the children of Israel. But it all begins with a child. An infant child who was placed in a makeshift ark by his mother and rescued by a princess of Egypt, reared in Pharaoh's household, and one who would ultimately become the deliverer of his people. Jesus, born as a child in Bethlehem. Moses, an infant placed in an ark. Both of these stories and what happened in the aftermath are also deeply revealing of the dark side of human nature. Human nature that is despicable and desperately wicked according to the prophet Jeremiah who knew even in that time and place how deep sin could plunge, how unfathomable the currents of evil were. In Egypt, because of the child, Pharaoh issued an order that all boys born to Hebrew women should be killed. Herod, on the other hand, believing he had been duped and deceived by the wise men, lapsed once again into a maniacal rage and ordered all male children two years and under in Bethlehem and its immediate vicinity to be killed. Scholars estimate that given the population of Bethlehem at that time, at the time the edict was given, that this could have impacted as many as 20 babies. 20 babies. Nothing so reveals the depravity and darkness of a society than our treatment of children. It's going to take more than a law or an ordinance to kill what ails our society. It's deeper than that. It's going to take more than some bipartisan initiative to fix what's wrong with us. What ails us. We're the most, and I'm talking about America, we're the most technically apt, technologically superior, materialistically affluent country in the world. And yet, we're the most violent. Herod and Pharaoh, they're still with us. Let's not forget that we live in a society where children die daily from parental neglect and abuse, from abductions, from hunger, from privation, from prostitution and exploitation. It happens every day. God has come to this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is born as a child in Bethlehem. He had a special affinity to children. 
He said, suffer the children to come unto me. For if such is the kingdom of heaven. And it is only this gospel. It is only this gospel that has Jesus saying that the angels of these little ones always behold the face of my father. He has angels specially assigned to watch over children, to protect them. So there is the child in the cradle, but there's the man on the cross. That's the second thing. The child in the cradle is God's identity or identification with the least of us. But then we go to the man on the cross. That's how God identified with the worst of us. See, we move from his identifying with the least of us, the most innocent, the most vulnerable, to him moving to a place and a plane where his sacrifice identifies him with the worst of us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He became a child and was laid in a cradle in Bethlehem. But the record shows that Jesus grows up to become a man. Luke tells us at the end of this chapter we read from that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He is the unique God-man of history. Not just any man. The man on the cross, he is what the ancient theologians call the hypostatic union. He is the union of humanity and divinity. He is as much God as he is man. And he is much man as he is God. He is a unique God-man of human history. He is the light that shined in darkness. Because before he said, I am the light of the world, he was the light for the world. When the earth was in darkness and void, God said, let there be light. And through you and through me, as we let our light shine, through the church, through every Christian witness, he is light in the world. Light for the world. Light of the world. I'm so happy to tell you that he's light beyond the world. In him was light. And the light was the light of men. Somebody's struggling with some darkness now. And I'm telling you, the last word is not darkness, it's light. The man on the cross was the light for the world. He was the light of the world. He was light in the world. He is that in us. And he's light beyond the world. The disciples on a storm and sea, they asked the question, what manner of man? What manner of man is this that even the wind and the storms obey him? And it occurred to me when I heard that question echoing in my spirit that this is an expositional key that unlocks the treasure of scripture. Because most of scripture is the record of how different biblical writers answered that question. Talk to Isaiah and ask him, what man of man is he? He'll say to you, he's a wonderful counselor. 
He's a prince of peace. He, he's the everlasting father. He's the mighty God. What kind of man is he, Isaiah? He is a man who was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers. He is dumb. He opened out his mouth. That's what kind of man he is. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. What manner of man is he, David? What manner of man is he? David would tell you, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Woman, the Bible says you had an issue of blood for 12 years. What manner of man is he? He's the kind of man that no matter what you're going through, no matter who you've been to, he's got enough healing in his garment that if you touch him, you can be well. Mary, Martha, what manner of man is he? He's the kind of man that when he shows up, in his presence and his power, he can reverse any tragedy just by calling somebody's name. Yeah, yeah. The child in the cradle, the man on the cross, the two flags, victory flags God has placed on this planet to remind us that nothing is too hard for him. But then there is the song in the heart. There is the song in the heart. How should we respond to the reality and the truth about the child in the cradle and the man on the cross, the God-man? The angels show us how. They provide for us in the Gospels a dress rehearsal. What can we do in the face of the Herods and the Pharaohs, in the face of unspeakable tragedy, against children, against innocence. The angels tell us what to do. They say, sing. Just sing. Praise God. Give him the praise. They said, if you don't know what to sing, we'll give you a song. Glory! Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, Say, sing. Just sing. Sing because heaven has come down to earth. Sing because a man on the cross didn't stay there. Early Sunday morning, he got up. Early Sunday morning, he got up. With all power in his hands. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.